This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for 30 years. And I'm delighted you're here, each and every one of you. We presented something a little different last week. We actually heard from John Crowley, my fantastic audio producer and engineer, about his favorite episode. And this week, Christine Mathias, my communications director, brainstorming partner, editor, graphic designer, she wears lots of hats, has chosen her own favorite. As I said last week, the greater part of our relationship has been virtual. I've met and spent time with both John and Christine, but we've mostly gotten to know each other through sharing life and work for the last six or more years. There's definitely truth in the fact that you can make very deep friendships virtually. And there is absolutely no way I could produce self-work without them. I am so very blessed. Christine's choice of her favorite episode for the second time around is based on one where I revisited what Mr. Rogers had to say and how it's still so important now. As Christine reminds us, he said, you make each day special just because you're you. It's all about finding calm in a world that's become even more complex since Mr. Rogers was on TV. Before we listen in more, here's a message from our sponsor, Athletic Greens, with a special offer just for you. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash selfwork to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So now let's journey into Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with Christine. Hi, I'm Christine, Margaret's communication manager, her in-house PR firm, her editor-at-large, or as I like to call myself, her auxiliary brain. I'm excited to bring to you the second time around. As I was trying to select an episode, I was going through the catalog and I'd see one and I'd think, hey, yeah, that would work. But then I'd find another one. I'd think, hmm, maybe that would be better. But then when I saw the Mr. Rogers episode, boom, I knew that was the one. When I was a little preschooler, I was just the perfect age to watch Mr. Rogers live on PBS. I loved him. I would sit in front of the TV and his message of you make each day special just by being you. 
I thought he was talking just to me. I mean, I knew it was TV, and I knew other kids were in their houses watching Mr. Rogers, but I thought kind of, sort of, in some little magical way that he might actually really be just talking to me. It's the same kind of feeling I had when I would talk to my cats and I would try to convince them, it's okay, you can talk to me, I won't tell anybody. Mr. Rogers' message stuck with me all throughout my life. I'm not even kidding, when I was in high school, I would think about his you just be you message and I would think, yep, you know what, I'm just going to be me. And I made choices in my life based upon that message. So in this episode, Margaret takes Mr. Rogers' message and in her own magical way, brings it to another level and even throws in some neurobiology to boot. So I hope you enjoy How to Calm Your Mood or What Would Mr. Rogers Say? What's really happening when you say to yourself, I'm about to lose my mind, or I'm about to go off the deep end, I can feel myself shutting down. You're overwhelmed, you're lost, and you feel very alone. Something is happening where you can't seem to calm down or self-soothe, as the term implies. So I wanted this episode to talk about and focus on self-soothing. And I remembered Mr. Rogers. He conveyed in his simple but steady message, Emotions are mentionable and manageable. Even when he spoke in front of Congress, I think it was in 1969, seeking their support for public children's TV, he made a point of saying that if we raise children who love themselves, they will end up being kind adults. He'd say things to kids like, the toughest thing is to love somebody who's done something mean to you, especially when that somebody has been hurt yourself. He really was quite the figure. Tom Hanks, who portrayed this wonderful man in the recent movie, The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, said that as he watched hours of recordings, he noticed one particular thing. Rogers seemed to meditate on the answers he was hearing, even if they were from children, like he had no other thoughts in his mind but what you were saying. And of course, this was true whether you were an adult or a child. He was not biding his time talking to you, but investigating you as an individual that he, Mr. Rogers, would learn from. He gave you a dignity and import that was squarely yours and yours alone. That's a beautiful quote, isn't it? Mr. Rogers wasn't playing Mr. Rogers. He was Mr. Rogers and stood strong in his beliefs about teaching children self-acceptance and love by showing it to them by giving them the words and power to be kind to themselves. Then I thought about other self-soothers. I was saddened by the reminder of what my own childhood had been like when I saw the movie The Help several years ago. I was one among many who watched the major African-American character, Eveline Clark, whose job as a housekeeper and basic nanny to many white children cooed to the last child she would take care of, after that child had had another verbal beating from her own mother. Her words were, You was kind, you was smart, you was important. There were many hard scenes to watch in that movie, really horrific scenes. But that little girl sobbing as her beloved Abilene had to go her own way was tough. Perhaps the only person in her world who had been truly kind to her had to leave. She'd been soothed by Abilene. And we were left to hope that that little girl would somehow hold on to those words. And then who is soothing us today? 
we have seen a character come onto the horizon, like sort of a new source of soothing from a comical but curious character who's never coached soccer a day in his life, but is hired to coach a losing soccer team in Great Britain. Who is it? Ted Lasso. You might have heard people talking about the series. Lasso seems to understand so much about life and lives to the beat of another drum, giving out homespun advice that rings more than true, and is often about handling complex emotions, disappointment, loss, failure, and soothing yourself. One of his favorites when talking to a player who was really struggling with soothing? You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. I really enjoyed that show. I call it Andy Griffith Comes to 2021. (laughs) So what, if anything, do Mr. Rogers, Abilene Clark, and Ted Lasso have to do with learning to self-soothe? Or the expert I mentioned in the intro, Dr. San Siegel? Because they all demonstrate that when you name a feeling, when you use your mind to help you stay calm, when you allow your left verbal brain to talk to your right feeling brain, you're going to calm down. In fact, there are actual neurotransmitters like dopamine that seep into the feeling system of the brain and soothe it when that message is being sent by the left hemisphere of the brain. That's how Dr. Siegel got to call it, name it to tame it. Dr. Dan Siegel is a psychiatrist, author, researcher, and speaker who's come up with a simple way for all of us to understand self-regulation or self-soothing with the phrase, name it to tame it. He stresses that self-regulation can help you in those times when you feel like you're losing your mind or flipping out or getting too weighed down. And he says that three things become essential. He calls them the three other R's other than reading, writing, and arithmetic. But he uses this very interesting visual. He actually calls it a hand model of the brain. At this point, you might want to switch over to the YouTube link that I'll have in the show notes, but you can also watch it afterwards. I'm going to try to describe it as I watched it. So Dr. Siegel stands holding his hand like he's swearing to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Think about what that looks like. And then he puts his thumb into his palm. Try doing it yourself. And then he closes his fingers over his thumb, right? Like you're making a fist and basically explains This is a hand model of your brain. The fingers closed over your thumb are the last part of our brains to have developed. The outside. It's called the cortex where it's at the back of your hand, like where your wrist is and your knuckles. But your prefrontal cortex, especially where your fingers are, and especially the third and fourth fingers that actually touch your palm, is symbolic of the prefrontal cortex. Now, what is that? That's where you make your decisions, where you think and reflect. And that's the important word for him. And the first R, reflect. Reflection helps you self-soothe and self-regulate. It's there that you can name feelings and by doing so, achieve more calm. Okay, so now let's go back to your hand model. And please just... Wiggle your second and third fingers around a little bit. You'll notice they're not only touching your thumb and covering it up, but they touch your palm, okay? I'll get to the importance of that in a second. You actually can hold your fist up beside your eyes in a mirror and see that your third and fourth finger 
where they're touching your thumb represents the part of your brain that's right above your eyebrows. So if you put your little fist right by your eyes, you almost can kind of see that it's a little model of your brain or the prefrontal cortex. Okay, so now back to the hand model. Raise your fingers once again, but leave your thumb in the palm of your hand. Siegel says that your thumb represents your limbic system, which is the second oldest part of the brain. Remember, the cortex developed last. The limbic system is in the middle. It's the second oldest part of the brain. It's where you feel things. You find motivation. You feel fight or flight or freeze or fold, the four responses to stress. When you're under stress, your limbic system is very activated, and that's when you feel you might be falling apart. But again, fold your fingers down over your thumb. Your mind learns to soothe itself. Your prefrontal cortex touches both the limbic system, the thumb, and your palm. Well, wait a minute. What does your palm have to do with anything? Once again, raise your fingers, but leave your thumb in your palm. Then, release your thumb. Your palm and your wrist represent your brainstem and the vagus nerve. This is where our brain development started over 300 million years ago. It's the oldest and most basic part of the brain. We've already talked in another episode, and I'll have it in the show notes, about your gut's nervous system. And it seems Siegel says there's one around your heart as well. And then, of course, there's your brain's nervous system. So the messages that are coming up from your brain stem, which controls breathing and basic functions of living, and your vagus nerve, which brings messages from your heart and your gut, all of that affect the limbic system as well. So put your thumb back on your palm, and you can feel how, or visually you can see how, the limbic system is affected by what's coming up from the wrist and what's in the palm, basically. That's your brainstem and vagus nerve. And then close your fingers once again over your thumb. Remember that's your prefrontal cortex, and it is integrating all that data and helping you calm yourself. So basically what he is saying is the very act of reflection. Your prefrontal cortex connecting with your limbic system, which is connected with your brainstem and your vagus nerve. And then all of that is reflected upon, thought about, labeled, connected with by your limbic system, but then it is guided by and calmed by your prefrontal cortex. What about the other two R's that are part of self-regulation and soothing? Self-reflection or reflection is important in calming down. You name it and tame it. Basically, what he's saying is, if let's say you have that feeling of you're about to jump out of your skin, and you think about it, wait a minute, what am I feeling? The limbic system is very agitated, and it by itself cannot name the emotion. It takes the prefrontal cortex. It takes the higher functioning of the brain to be able to put a label on it. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm angry. And what research has shown is that the very act of labeling calms you down. So reflection is important. What else is important in self-soothing? Dr. Siegel says relationships. Positive connections with other people can also create dopamine surges. The same thing that comes from your prefrontal cortex that calms down your limbic system. That's dopamine. 
For example, have you ever had the feeling that you simply needed to hear someone's voice that you care about, even if it was just to listen to their voicemail? That's what I mean. All you need is a reminder of the connection that keeps you grounded. You need to be in contact with people who offer you kindness. And of course, Siegel goes on to make the point that if you're thinking about yourself as more kind, more compassionate, then you can actually change your own brain's pathways and circuitry. It's fascinating. Basically, if you say to yourself what Abilene said to that little girl, you're kind, you're smart, you're lovable, whatever, then you will calm down and you can change your own brain's circuitry. Now, of course, this is an important part of therapy. Just think for a second. Not only is a therapist helping you by connecting with you emotionally, hopefully then you don't feel so alone, but then they redirect your own ability to find a label for what you're feeling. Siegel calls this connect and redirect, connect and redirect. Again, sometimes when you're upset, you don't know what the feeling is. Is it fear, anger, disappointment, hurt, sadness? Just being able to recognize it, to call it what it is, I'm afraid, I'm hurt, then here comes that dopamine. So if you're in therapy, the therapist can support this kind of self-reflection and even act as a teacher for such and offer a safe relationship, but you can learn to self-soothe. In fact, the goal of therapy is to have someone begin to develop other relationships that hold the same potential that therapy had, that they can feel understood, that they have someone that can connect with them, and at times can help them redirect. All of us need that sometimes. And of course, when we experience compassion, that can be life-altering. Siegel calls it, name it to tame it. The third R is resilience. When you combine the ability to reflect with relationships, positive relationships, you build resilience. So reflection plus relationships leads to resilience. Because resilience is all about self-regulation. A resilient person is someone who can go through something very difficult and stay grounded. Now, not inert, not not feeling, but managing those feelings, managing impulses, managing reactions so that they become responses. Name it to tame it. Try it out. And check out those YouTube videos. He's almost like Mr. Rogers is talking to you. Our listener email today is from a young woman who says, I'm an avid listener of your podcast, and it has helped me to gain the tools to address my inner critic and anxiety. However, I still experience incredible anxiety regarding cancel culture. Years ago, I did not like the person that I was and the way I treated others. I've worked hard to address this and have slowly become a person with much more kindness, empathy, and compassion for others. However, the constant fear of being canceled for mistakes causes significant anxiety. I've even fully removed all social media out of fear. How can I work on this? This was a fascinating question. You know, years ago, I told a family member that was possibly considering running for some kind of political office that I would probably not be able to help him. Especially if people found out about the chaos of my 20s, I would have to stay out of the limelight. That was years ago, but 
Obviously, now we see in cancel culture that mistakes people made decades before come up to haunt them. And again, maybe they were egregious mistakes. I'm not condoning the mistake, but I'm saying, as a therapist, it's hard enough to encourage people to open up about their past. And many fear that they'll see a look of disgust or disappointment in my eyes instead of compassion. Most of us do stupid things. That's how we learn and grow. I understand that some people's mistakes hurt others a lot, and I'm not condoning those kinds of mistakes. But I looked up cancel culture, and this is what I found. It's the phenomenon of promoting the canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies due to what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. And Dr. Jill McCorkle says that's not all that new. She's a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova, and she told the magazine that I looked at, that the roots of cancel culture have been present throughout human history. Societies have punished people for behaving outside of perceived social norms for centuries, she said. And this is just another variation. To me, the difference is, and you can obviously go back and look at what someone said or did or what picture they put on Instagram 20 years ago, or not maybe 20 years ago, but you can so much more easily dig up stuff. But as the complex series 13 Reasons Why showed us, the rapidity with which canceling can occur or bullying, that someone can become an object for derision in an instant by way of social media and cell phones. Now, that's scary stuff. And I know that's made typical teenage self-consciousness and wanting to belong even more volatile. This listener writes that she's aware of how she's grown so much and how she treats others. I'm not sure removing all social media is going to work, But here are several ideas of mine that I hope help. First, make sure where it's appropriate that you talk with someone that you might feel have the right to hang on to hurt from your relationship with them. Something you said, something you did. You can't control the way they react now. Maybe they'd also admit to being immature or selfish, or maybe they wouldn't. But you can do what you can to make amends. The second is to look around at your friends now. If any of them cancel or emotionally cut off others or several people, but then say to you, oh, it would never happen with you, I'd likely not believe it. It's very likely that it will happen, and I'd consider moving away from the relationship or the friendship. If they can discard others, they can discard you. The third thing I thought about was I would talk with your now friends and people you trust, the people you really want as your go-tos that you value in your life. Be honest about the way you were. When you share your vulnerabilities, they lose power. So if someone else said to them, hey, did you know this about Margaret? They'd say, oh, yeah, you know, she told me that a long time ago. You disempower it by revealing and talking about it. I'd also wonder with you, what has been good about being off social media? It sounds as if your decision was made in fear. I get that. So if you continue to choose to stay off, Could you choose a different reason? I'm not staying off because of fear anymore. I'm staying off because I enjoy spending time in the present. (laughs) Or I've learned there's so many things that I don't worry about as much because I stay off. So what started in fear doesn't have to continue in fear. And here's my last thought. I usually don't believe someone when they loudly declare, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Our reputations, our characters are important. Many of us give respect and do our best to gain it from others. 
I'll give you an example, for several years, and they actually may still be there, there were two absolutely horrific reviews of my work and me on Google. One said my license should be taken away. I was the worst psychologist in Arkansas. Another stated that all I cared about was money. So what did I do? I could have gotten some firm to take them off. I could have replied. But I just let them sit there. I didn't try to get them off or reply. It was a great exercise for me to realize I'm not in control. People could say kind things. They could say unkind things. And others would just have to make their own judgment, and I let that be. It was a great way for me to grow through that discomfort and disempower the hurt that they meant to convey. I hope these points have been helpful. Thank you for your kind words about self-work. I'm so glad you're here. I actually loved that episode as well. (laughs) And the one John picked last week. I'll be back with you next week with a new episode, and this one will be approaching the topic of suicide. And with the suicide rate exponentially growing, this is a vital episode for you to hear. Thanks so much for being here. Once again, I want to invite you, as I did last week, to a new course I'm teaching on April the 5th, entitled Perfectly Hidden Addiction. You can sign up through a link that'll be in the show notes. There is a charge, but the course will be packed with information and ideas for any of you who are realizing that you're handling the stress of overwork or over-responsibility with a gradual or not-so-gradual retreat into alcohol or any other substances. That's one of the traits of perfectly hidden depression, and I hope this course might be helpful to you. It also, of course, can be used for continuing education for mental health professionals. Thank you so much again for being here. Your ratings and reviews mean everything to me. Thank you to those of you who've left one. I'll read the last one. As a clinician who also works in the mental health field, I have the utmost respect for Dr. Margaret and how she uses this show to help people better understand themselves. Her use of examples helps us to understand and relate to the concepts. Highly recommend this show for anyone curious about psychology or mental health. I sure hope so. That's the whole point of the reason why I'm doing this. I've wanted to present to you my ideas about what's important about therapy, about mental health, about what's going on with you emotionally and mentally. And I do use my own patients, my own clients, as anonymous examples of some of the struggles, but some of the incredible growth that you can experience, as did they. So thank you for the comments. Please keep them coming. And thank you, as always, for being here. Please take care of yourself, your family, and your community. And as Mr. Rogers says, remember that we all have value because of who we are. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.